Hey there, podcast listener. Steven here from the podcast you're currently listening to. You ever heard a podcast and think, I can do that? Well, maybe you can, or maybe you can't, or maybe I can help you get started with it. Hosting is the most expensive cost you'll have in a podcast, and that's why Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast. Really, they have everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. With Anchor's hosting, you can distribute your podcast to other listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole lot more. And if you think you can do a better job than I, record a podcast right now. There's very low risk involved. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I'm Stephen Vargas. I'm Adam Riley. Hey there now. So, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, two weeks in a row. Actually, technically, if you think about last week's episode was like two hours, so technically we've had three episodes, <laughs> if you think about it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, going into this week, uh, I mentioned last week that we were going to have a, a, like a donation structure, which is similar to, to Patreon, and, uh, since we don't really have enough fans for Patreon, I figured maybe a bonus structure for people would, you know, do, you know, to donate would be a possible incentive. So the structure is going to be like this. So if you a uh, donation of a dollar or more, you will receive a thank you at the end of the month. You know, kind of like, yeah, thanks, but, you know, uh, how, but for donations of $15 or more, you will be a sponsor. I'll put air quotes over this. Uh, for a particular episode now what that means and i thought this was kind of funny in this you know if you want to do that's cool uh you the donator will be able to write your own sponsor ad so it could be total self-promotion like for your own blog business podcast or whatever it may be adam and i and i will record it we'll have a little fun with it you know and it just basically that's our sponsor and you know whatever it is you know yeah not suitable for work you know patreon you know whatever it is <laughs> You know, um, yeah, I make these cool edibles. So, <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, maybe promotional. Hey, you know what? Whatever. We're whores. We'll do it. <laughs> um, uh, for donations of $30 or more, you can uh, choose our main story. That's the main topic that we have. We'll give you an honest debate about whatever you want, which is better DC or Marvel or Star Wars or Star Trek is, you know, uh, is AR uh, Pornhub close to happening? You know that the the real hard hitting questions. Right. Those are the kind of stuff we'll we'll talk about. Um, and then donations of a hundred dollars or more, and you can be a co host for the episode on an episode. And just all you need is just to have access to Skype and be available to record on a Sunday night. So, you know, and also this this I was like, you know what? If you just want to donate, you know, whatever amount, and you don't want any of that, you're just cool with the thank you. That's fine. Just let us know. You know, uh, these are just like little incentives. If you want, it, thought it might be kind of funny. It might be cool. 
Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the structure we got. And, and, and if things start working well, what have you, you know, maybe we can actually turn it into a Patreon. Cause I think <laughs> earlier today, Adam and I had, um, actually a conversation about a possible show that we could do. <laughs> uh, so that might be, that might be interesting. The wheels are always turning. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Especially, especially, uh, especially Adams. Cause you know, he's got nothing to do over there. Right. You know, you know I'm so <laughs> not busy at all. <laughs> nothing. I do have a three day weekend though. So I'm excited about that. Oh yeah. That's right. You're off yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Oddly enough, we have two Mars stories this week. We do. We do. Um, I'm going to do the first one because I kind of wrote it as if I was going to do it. <laughs> um, and also because there's a play cue I have to use. In there. So, so a couple <laughs> of years ago, in fact, it was on a recent Rewind episode last month, uh, Adam and I discussed the plan to send people on a one-way trip to Mars. Uh essentially colonize the red planet and die there. Uh, Adam was very upset about this issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's a clip from that episode. They mentioned that this is going to be a one-way trip. Right. Yeah, you, so, you're leaving, you're not coming home. I'm still doubting that this will even happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to be completely honest, because it looks like they just slapped it together. And if NASA and the ESA are still working on their plan i'm sorry you know (laughs) one of them sitting there going well we could go to like uh you know we could go to like crowdsource it you know (laughs) yeah some kickstarter campaign to get to mars i don't have much faith in in the in the if you want to look for it it's the the rewind episodes called the refund edition and (laughs) um adam and i were actually talking about to put this in context they were uh taking applications it was video submissions and i had started the conversation asking adam if he had done his video submission for this mars mars project and we were talking about how just how like this is even going to happen and oh and by the way the conversation gets worse even you think that's bad it's like it gets worse when we get to a, a a woman an iranian woman who decided she wanted to go to space and yeah it, it gets a lot worse <laughs> Um, no, I think yeah. I think that was the episode two. I went on the um, Moon versus Mars rant too, and like I really laid it out. Like I'm very passionate for no reason about this topic. <laughs> you know that I know what you're talking about, but no, that was another episode. This one here, you were talking basically about the people that were applying are people you really don't want in an enclosed environment. Right? They were. Hot, they were they were didn't seem mentally stable enough like right. in in on earth in society <laughs> yes that's fine but not not in a tin can in the middle of fucking nowhere <laughs> you miss me that i oh, i remember that iranian chick was crazy and yeah, not yeah, that's not a, because yeah. she was iranian okay she was just no, there's crazy broads everywhere i don't want to be offensive uh, according, uh, yeah. according to uh, according to adam in the in the clip uh was um yeah she said they asked her about well, since you, nobody was to have sex, nobody was allowed to have sex because it wasn't a a, a, a procreating colony. Like, and you were you were like, then it's not a colony. It's yeah. like this is just where people are going to die. And and it was funny too because of the fact that when uh, you were we were like you said had um, oh yeah you said well if somebody gets mad when you know you have space you can walk away you know if you're gonna hit something you're gonna probably hit it 
<laughs> hits something that's um, that will do something, and you're like, yeah, thanks for breaking the water purifier, asshole. <laughs> really appreciate it. You're in your temper tantrum. <laughs> so that was four years ago when we talked about Yet that. again, everything it I say is correct. Exactly. Now it's 2019, and the company has finally filed for bankruptcy. Many of Mars One's claims have come under intense scrutiny in the years since its inception. For one, the company initially argued that it had received more than 200,000 applicants of applications from people all over the world interested in living on Mars. But an investigation by the publication Matter could not verify that claim. Matter also found that Mars One's process for selecting these candidates was questionable and given by the people we were talking about very questionable. Additionally, Mars One did not manufacture any aerospace hardware, but claimed it would fund and purchase all of the equipment necessary for creating a reality TV show that would follow its candidates as it prepared for the mission. Experts have speculated that a mission to Mars could potentially cost hundreds of billions of dollars. And in 2014, two graduate students from MIT created a report looking at the feasibility of the Mars One mission, claiming the technology is not just was not, just not mature enough for the plan to work, and it would require way more money and deliveries of spare parts than the mission claimed. So, yeah, because I can't even take credit for getting this right. Because anyone with an ounce of common sense, you yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's no, you can take credit for that with that after with that follow up. <laughs> I do <laughs> take credit. No. <laughs> no, the biggest and and I and I mentioned in the clip NASA and ESA, and I'm not saying that. Only the government can get it done. No, you need an entity with some fucking power behind it with right. the resources and, and the minds to get it done. <laughs> anyway, speaking of broke down, and that's a sad segue, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. And Steve knows that I love this little guy. <laughs> Every time something came on the news, oh, did you hear what Opportunity <laughs> found? Loved it. I'm going to read this article. It's a little long. I don't give a fuck. We'll stop when I feel we know enough. Okay? NASA is finally saying goodbye to its Opportunity rover on Mars after spending nearly a year trying to reestablish communication with the silent robot. A team of engineers at NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, or JPL, sent one final radio command to the rover last night, but did not receive a response. Now, NASA will stop trying to communicate with Opportunity effectively bringing the rover's 15-year mission 15 years yeah and you know that's people go off oh, whatever we have probes out there like voyager and this and that fuck you that's that's in space that's easy <laughs> yeah. 15 years on that dusty fucking shit rock that's impressive that, that's some volvo kind of engineering going on <laughs> up there um, I was there yesterday, and I was there with the team as these commands went out into the deep sky. And I learned this morning that we had not heard back. Thomas uh, Zerbuchin, the associate director for NASA's science mission directorate, said during a press conference on Wednesday. He later added, I'm standing here with a sense of deep appreciation and gratitude that I declare the Opportunity mission as complete. Um... Opportunity has been radio silent since June 2018 when a massive dust storm overwhelmed the skies of Mars and blotted out the sun. Global warming? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, The storm, one of the thickest NASA has ever seen, um, made it impossible for Opportunity's solar panels to stay powered. As a result, the rover's internal battery drained and Opportunity went into hibernation mode. 
After the storm passed, the mission team for Opportunity was hopeful they, that they might be able to wake the rover up again. They figured that once light hit Opportunity solar panels again, it could get enough power to turn on and establish a radio link with Earth. But it's been total silence since June 10th, when the rover sent back its last message that indicated the environment on Mars was incredibly dark and that the bot's battery was nearly depleted. First of all, that's depressing as fuck. The last thing the rover said was, I can't see and I'm about to die. Yeah. That's literally the last thing. <laughs> I got the feels right now. <laughs> I love that little fucking thing. It's not yeah. really little. It's like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, but still. But still. The team has tried every possible method of getting opportunity to phone home again using NASA's Deep Space Network, an array of massive radio telescopes here on Earth that are used to communicate with spacecraft deep in the solar system. But they've had no luck. One theory is that the dust storm that engulfed Opportunity was so obtrusive that it left a layer of dust on the rover's solar panels, um, further preventing it from receiving sunlight. NASA was still hopeful, though, as November, as November through January was considered a particularly windy time on Mars. Engineers hoped that a powerful gust might be able to blow off whatever was blocking the panels. Another explanation for the quiet is that the storm messed up Opportunity's internal clock, which confuses the bot about when to go to sleep. So Y2K, basically. <laughs> they didn't fix for the Y2K button. One of the main reasons why the rover has lasted so long is that NASA puts the vehicle into deep sleep every night. This involves shutting everything off, including, including the rover's heaters. When the mission first started, the heaters were left on at night, but they were draining all the rover's power. So basically, NASA would tuck, tuck it in at night, read it a story. I'm trying to make everybody sad. I know, I can tell. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to skip the rest. It's just more details of the same and how they felt about them. And, I'm, you know, it can be assumed that they, it was a bittersweet moment. You know, you have to be – it's sad that it ended like that, but 15 years of data. I mean, they, they learned so much about that planet from this little fucking guy. It's so cute, too. You got a picture of it looks like um, it looks like that. What was the name of it? Um, Johnny Five. Oh, Johnny Five. It's got like a Johnny, Johnny Five Five's head. Alive. <laughs> Input. And probably that's what it was. Is it, the dust covered the pan, and the, it probably just fucked it up. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because like, yeah, I know they said one of the one of the the one of the uh, theories was that it just got covered with, you know, that layer of dust and stuff like that, and, and uh, they're hoping the winds. But I was like. Yeah, but even that, I mean, it probably got, you know, fractured. Or, you know. it, su yeah, super windy. It could have got rocks hitting it. Yeah. You know, just, it's a shame, man. But, I mean, I mean everybody years. knows Everybody knows how easy an iPhone gets fucked up. So, you know. For it's real. Like, think, think of that just out there exposed all the time. I mean, that, you know. I'm telling you, though, this is the little probe that could, though, because that <laughs> thing... We remember we were getting pictures a couple years ago that the, its wheels were deteriorating, still chugging along. Don't give yeah. a fuck. So they definitely <laughs> know I, how to make rovers over there at NASA. <laughs> All I can say to Opportunity is, I'll see you at the crossroads. You won't be lonely. Be lonely. I'm telling you. <laughs> I salute you, Opportunity. Moving along to something happier. God, it's dark and I'm dying. Oh, yeah, I, I, I gotta close like... this window. I can't even look. Good I know. I saw, when I saw that popping up on uh, on social media, everybody's like, "Why are they doing this to us? Like, why are you telling us what 
what it said. Don't tell me it's last moments. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so sad. So I um, last episode actually, <laughs> we were talking about um, Doom Patrol coming out, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to sign it. Oh, I. It was during the episode. I'm like, oh, DC Universe has a free trial. So I signed up while Steve was talking. <laughs> and Because um, God I, forbid he listens to me. Yeah, fuck it, you know. Um, <laughs> so I still have it, and I, I have no qualms in paying for it uh, for the time being. Doom Patrol is fucking amazing. Um, now, just to let everybody know, it's not Netflix, so they don't drop the whole season all at once. It's one, once a week, like Star Trek and stuff like that. Which I prefer, um, but we don't have to get it. Who cares? Um, <laughs> That's another episode. Yeah, we we both, Steve and I both saw the first episode of Doom Patrol, and I'm gonna tell you like this: I was pleasantly surprised. The acting's phenomenal. The production value, yeah, is I mean, movie quality, and um, seeing Brendan Fraser get work makes me happy. I love Brendan. I Fraser. need more Brendan Fraser. I love Fraser. him. Makes me want to go watch the Mummy again. I thought it was kind of funny where he's like, made the where, mummy he said, where he made that Mummy reference. Yeah, yeah. It's like so. What was it like being buried in a pyramid with your cat? <laughs> <laughs> so the cool thing is, and this is something that I hope DC keeps doing, is they're making TV shows about lesser known characters, um, and they're really expanding on it. And DC has a lot of great characters they really do and and one of the problems they say that dc has versus marvel is that their main line of characters superman batman wonder woman are not very relatable because they're godlike which is in a lot of ways is true yeah um but that doesn't mean dc doesn't have characters that are average joes and they went all the way on the Mm. other end of the spectrum yeah doom patrol i think it was mid 80s when it came out i might be wrong on that grant morrison um run on it amazing and it's it's about these characters that yeah they have powers per se but they're really fucked up like they're not they're not good people some of them are kind of shitty um but they're they're trying (laughs) you know or their powers are kind of weird you know and it's just it's um so the show has brendan frazier's robot man so he's more voice acting than anything else I don't know how much he'll be in in the show because there's a lot of flashbacks in the first episode. Um, that fucking smoking hot chick from Orange is the New Black is uh, Crazy Jane, and she's really good at that. And that's something interesting because it's like 61 personalities, and yeah. each one of her personalities has a different power. <laughs> um, so that's going to be fun. Um, Elastigirl is in it. Oh, yeah. They haven't really explained. You saw how she got her powers. They didn't really explain it. Um, and I can't remember his fucking name. I think Negative Negative Man or something like that. I might be – see, I don't know if I'm pulling information from the episode or just shit I knew. <laughs> but the dude <laughs> yeah, is, Negative Man. Negative he's, Man, yeah. Yeah, he's wrapped up in uh, bandages. I'm not going to go into too much detail on that because they didn't really go into too much detail in the episode. Um, well, one of the things, too, that I thought was interesting is that the actor playing uh, uh, Negative Man, Matt Balmer, he's done – he was on this um, – oh, God, a USA show. This is where he actually got famous um, – well, not famous, but he got a lot of recognition uh, for uh, – God, what was it? 
it was a USA television show. And uh, White Collar, that was it. He's oh, on the I show. remember that show. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was him. Yeah, that was him. And then he got on Magic Mike, and then he's done other um, shows like um, uh, he was in The Magnificent Seven. Uh, he also was in American Horror Story and a bunch of other ones. And, um, oh, I guess he does an appearance in Titans, too. Well, the whole Doom Patrol does. There's an episode where they, I think they meet. Hmm. Um, and uh, so I was actually kind of surprised. I was like, oh, a guy with actual recognition, like facial recognition. like people, he's, he's familiar, but he's covered in bandages. Yeah. Not only that, <laughs> he's also a pretty good-looking dude. Yeah. And usually Hollywood wants to put that front and center. They don't want to cover it up, but his character is covered in bandages. It's, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Um, and we see flashback scenes of him. I think they gave more background for him and Rob- Robot Man than anybody else. Yeah. Um, but really, oh, just such a good show. Like, I'm so excited for the next episode. See, my thing was, is talking about Brandon Fraser for a minute, when we saw him, you know, in, in this, and, you know, first off, you're seeing him and he's knocking the nanny. Um <laughs> Yeah, Which not a show hilarious. for kids, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely not. But what I really liked was the fact that through his, even though it's just his voice, you still felt shit. It was amazing. Like, he really managed to get you to feel for his character. I think, and, I and I didn't really realize that until you said something to me, but, like, Robot Man doesn't emote. Like his mouth literally just up and down. It it doesn't actually. He doesn't even do that. I don't think. And he can blink. Yeah. You know, Which and obviously random. he can move his arms and shit like that. But it's it's kind of crazy how much emotion you got out of just the voice. Um, and it's crazy because when you really think about it, these characters really need high level acting. Um, Robot Man and Negative Man both you can't see their face. Right. So that that's a whole thing. Uh, Crazy Jane, she switches personalities constantly, and and to the point it was just like effortless. Yeah, like the only way you saw it was there was the a little shimmer effect. that they yeah. show. Yeah, and then she just kind of switched over. I mean, it <laughs> that whole first scene between her and um and Robo Man was just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where she's just like, you got a man cave, yeah. a lot of man stuff going on in there. <laughs> She's such a bitch. Like, I was like, oh. What did he call Has anybody ever called you a psycho bitch or yeah. something like that? Yeah. Like he, he checked her like right away. Oh, yeah. But it was. Um, you grabbed my junk. Yeah. <laughs> liked it. Um, there's a scene in a trailer. It wasn't in that episode where um, he's he's Robot Man is put like had was carrying her and put her on a couch. Um, and she goes. She goes, don't touch me. And then you see her personality change. She goes, you can touch me. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, a, it's one of those shows where there's definitely some, some more um, questions that need to be answered. Right. Uh, the bad guy is the pilot from Firefly. Yeah, Alan Tiddick. And he is terrified. Here's the funny thing is he was the narrator of the entire yeah. episode. And <laughs> being I, all meta and shit. Yeah. Right. And I love the guy's voice. And he was being super fourth wall breaky. Like it was yeah. it was great. And then 
I'm like, oh, this guy's kind of funny, like the the villain. And then as soon as you see him, you're like, oh, it ain't, he ain't funny. Like it's <laughs> it's like some real shit, you know. And I have no idea how these four fucking retards are gonna beat that, you know. And that's kind of the allure of the show is you're just like, how are they even gonna pull that off? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. I actually got. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Um, and then adding Timothy Dalton in their Professor X kind of little uh, uh, yeah. little character there was. Um, I was just like, wow, these this, they and they got together like a good crew, you know. So um, I dug it. And if you're into like, you know, not mainline, you know comic book movies or characters and stuff like that. This is actually a good one to, to get. It's a good one to check out. I definitely want to, I wanted to bring it up too, because, um, you know, a lot of the DC movies kind of let, were lame and I don't want anyone to be like, Oh, I can't, I'm not going to watch this. It's probably just gonna be like, movies. it's not it, the, this one episode was better. Some than some of the DC universe movies. Like, okay. Bear in mind too. This is also produced, um, executive produced by Jeff Johns and Greg Berlanti. Who right. is behind the whole Arrowverse? The stuff, real so. the people who should have been in charge are in charge of this, right? Exactly. You know, so it's it's something that definitely don't miss don't miss it. I also too, and I know this has been out. The whole first season's out actually uh, is Titans, and I had never watched it because I didn't have DC Universe. Um, now Titans, I enjoyed it, but that one definitely feels more like a like a a WB like arrow kind of show, you know, it's, it's a little melodramatic at times. Um, but I still like it. It was good. I've only, I didn't watch anymore cause I wanted to talk about the two first episodes. Um, but, uh, what did you think about that one? I think we kind of agreed. Yeah. I actually, I, I recognized a lot of arrow season one yeah. in um, in this one again too. This one's also Jeff Johns, Greg Berlanti. So you can see the, the, the pool there. Um, the chick that plays Raven, I thought was probably the standout to me. Um, that whole thing where she, you know, walks into that tent and sees everything that happens with the flying Graysons and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought was really cool. Her, her emotions and everything was just like really on point. Uh, she was one of the few in this movie that didn't seem, that seemed very natural with her character. Um, uh, Robin, he's very much, if you're, if you come from like Arrow, he's kind of very Oliver Queenish. He has a stick and, up his ass. Yeah. Um, although that scene where he comes down and they're like, where's Batman? And they're looking around waiting for, they're like, where yeah. is he? And they're looking for Batman and they're just like. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is they were talking about the whole fuck Batman thing and how it was crazy. But when you watch the episode and you get context, it makes sense. Oh, yeah, it does. You know, and you're like, okay, whatever. I remember yeah, when they, they, it was just in the trailer. He said, fuck Batman. Everyone was losing their fucking mind. Yeah. Like, you're telling me that um, how many Batman comics have you, have you read? Because he, <laughs> he gets cursed out a lot. Yeah. Like, he annoys people. You know, so it's it's whatever. But And every, in, this, in this, it's basically he's in context. It's basically saying that because they're, they were supposedly more fearful of Batman. And Robin's basically saying, yeah, uh, you should bitch. be afraid of me. Yeah, you right. should be afraid of me. <laughs> Which was dope. It was little, and it was a little scene for the audience too, because me, I've never liked Robin. I always yeah. thought he was kind of a bitch, because in a lot of it's kind of the Aquaman thing too, because right. a lot of the old shows he was a silly character. So when the whole "Where's Batman" thing, I was laughing. 
I was like, hey, where's Batman at? Like, I thought it was funny. And then when he beat the shit out of everybody, <laughs> they kind of was like, oh, okay, Robin ain't fucking around out here. You yeah, know? because and, it, it kind of gives you, yeah, because it's that, it is that moment of just basically saying, um, let's get this out of the way. Yeah, let's you just know, let's, define the character and move the fuck on. Right. You know, and, and it was definitely, while he's not in the right costume, it was definitely more of a Nightwing yeah. than Robin. And, and that was something interesting. I think... Um, Starfire is weird to me. Hmm. Not for the reason that some people are disliking her. <laughs> I don't care that she's black. Like, who fucking cares? She's an right. alien princess. Like, right. who gives a shit? <laughs> you know. But her, st- I don't remember her being Black Widow. And <laughs> right. and her, so her storyline is a little. Like I said, I've only seen the first episode. I wanted to keep it, kind of sync it up with with uh, Doom Patrol a little bit for me. Um, I'm not going to continue to do that. Uh, but um her but then in in the defense of the writers and in defense of the character she has amnesia from a car accident and she doesn't even know who the fuck she is so there's obviously some more story to tell um but she is hot though yeah which i'm I'm fine with that i was like okay you know is she gonna be doing like that uh the sexualized stuff they were getting on when they did the reboot. Where yeah, she's she's like, a, she was always trying to fuck Robin mm-hmm. when he was Nightwing. Yeah. Um, but <sighs> Beast Boy, very brief at the end. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. Like, yeah. I was like, when does Best Buy fucking have an armed security guard in there? <laughs> I know. It's a little, it was a little tough. I was like, okay. Right. I was like, oh, okay, come on. Let's, let's calm down a little bit. But um, them flat screens gotta you know we gotta we gotta protect those galaxy notes. <laughs> <laughs> the production value was very high. Yeah. Um, it, like it, how it took place in Detroit. Yeah, we're, we've we've come out of Gotham, and right. and I think I think that's very good because it, it gives them a um, it gives them a little breathing room, you yeah. know. And when when you put a character, and this happens in the comic all the time. When you put a character in Gotham, first of all, the main hero in Gotham constantly tells everybody, this is my city, fuck off. Right. And the villains are some of the most memorable villains of all time in that one city. And they actually play a little joke in this one where they're like, what happened to his last partner? I probably got gassed by the Joker or something. Right. You're just like, wow. Like, too soon, bro. Yeah. Too soon. But... I like that they and Detroit is still kind of a shithole. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but there's a lot of crime in Detroit. Right, you know, right. so he can he has some work to do. So I'm interested. I'm definitely gonna keep watching it. I enjoyed it. I was rooting for the guys. Oh shit. You know, it just I watched it right after Doom Patrol and it's a little different of a show. Um, yeah, it it does take that kind of okay shift. Right, you know, I, I think it probably be for me. It would probably have been better if I watched Titans first, then Doom Patrol. I agree. I was just about to say that. Yeah, and I, I think it's because, and I told Steve that, and this is not an insult, but a lot of those WB shows, they're what good. <laughs> they're good, like The Flash and Arrow. They're great shows, but when I watch them, I still I feel like they're for younger people, and that's probably because they're trying to appeal to everyone. So I get it. But Doom Patrol is not like that. Doom Patrol is 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 a little bit, I don't want to say highbrow, but it's a little bit more cerebral. Like it, it, like I was catching a little bit of feels in there, you know, and stuff like that. Like I went the whole episode, I went through like happiness, excitement, sadness. Like it was really like a roller coaster. 
you know, and, and that was something that's a little different from Titans where it was more of an origin story kind of episode written in a more traditional way. Like yeah. this one's turn, this one's turn, this one's turn. Now they meet, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and yeah. that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, Doom Patrol is not that way, you know, so I'm definitely going to keep watching them. I think Steve is going to keep watching them as well. Yeah, um, be watching. And we'll report back next week <laughs> on those shows. There we should go. we should just turn this we should have a section in here called uh like TV something. Yeah. You know, television fun time or something stupid like that and <laughs> just talk about all the shows we watched. <laughs> Cuz we 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 fucking record this on Sundays. Right. So we've pretty much and I now that I'm watching television cuz there's actual television worth watching. <laughs> um we'll see. We t- we discuss these things off off uh, off the mic. So. We always do. That's right. All right, so heading into headlines, uh, this week, Hulu is making a move out of the Marvel Netflix playbook. It announced that Hulu and Marvel is working on an original adult animation animation series partnership based on a few Marvel properties. Marvel's Modok, or M-O-D-O-K, Marvel's Hitmonkey, Marvel's Tig- Tigra and Dazzler show, and of course, Marvel's Howard the Duck. Like the original Netflix counterpart, these four shows will culminate in a special Marvel's The Offenders. Listen, Howard the Duck is Marvel's greatest character. Kevin Smith is doing that one. Fuck yes. That's going to be fucking <laughs> That's going to be balls, so meta. Dude. It's going to be so meta. It's going to be so good. I love Howard the Duck. Here, here's, here's the true reason. And I'm not talking about the movie. I like the movie because it's dumb. But Howard the Duck the character... <laughs> He's a great character. He's a great character, and I think the movie cheapened the character. I own one omnibus, and it's Howard the Duck. It's a hundred dollar book. You know, I got it as a gift, but still. Um, he, when Howard the Duck came out, the social commentary was deep, like it was just constant. And I think it's hard for me to remember because I wasn't there, but. Um, the presidency was an issue at that time. So there was a whole run where he was become like Howard for president and shit. And it's just, uh, he's talking to God at one point and he went to heaven (laughs) and hell and all this other shit. But the cool thing, he's like this fucking detective. Usually he's a private eye or something. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? This dude's the greatest ever. And he gets no shine because of that fucking movie. Thanks George Lucas. Well, in the the newer comic that they did of him, they fucking brought in uh, what's her name, uh, a comic book version of uh, of uh, Leah Thompson who yeah. was in the Howard the Duck movie. That was fucking great. <laughs> All right, take us back to Gotham. <laughs> take us back <laughs> <laughs> to a simpler time. <laughs> um. Oh, this this article is written by our very own Stephen Fargan. Uh, (laughs) much to the delight of the internet Ben Affleck has officially revealed that he is no longer Batman not to the delight of me no delight of the internet because everybody's been talking this as almost fact for like yeah for a long time the internet has been swirling this rumor within hours of the announcement that he would be playing Batman in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice the announcement came during his conversation with Jimmy Kimmel on his late night talk show. If you cannot listen nor want to watch the clip below, <laughs> the clip <laughs> below, Affleck uh, had this to say simply. 
you know, I tried to direct a version of it and worked with a really good screenwriter, but just kind of couldn't come up with a version. Couldn't crack it. So I thought it was time to let someone else take a shot at it, and they got some really good people. Uh, Affleck's involvement in bringing the Batman to the big screen was cloudy at best. Shortly after the release of Justice League, Affleck had announced that he was going back into rehab, which put the future of the movie in doubt. Afterwards, Affleck and Jeff Johns had reportedly put together a script, but it was short. It was shortly afterwards that Matt Reeves was brought on board to see what he could do with the story. Uh, while some sites will say that Affleck was officially confirmed to be out when the Batman was given a release date of June 25th, 2021, that is plain wrong. Deadline broke the official release date of the new movie, but Warner Brothers did not officially announce Affleck was no longer a part of it, hence the announcement last night. The original piece ad- added the words, We hear... Uh, before saying that he would no longer be Batman, which seems to be the direction of the entire DC Cinematic Universe, Um, which is true. Ben Affleck, unlike his last turn as a superhero, uh, was very good in the Bruce Wayne role. Um, Obviously, Steve is talking about um, that horrendous Daredevil movie. Um, That movie was disrespectful. Like like Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies, you don't say its name. (laughs) People have asked me, what did you think? Someone asked me one time, if you could sum up the Daredevil movie in one word, what would it be? I said disrespectful. Like, to to a character like that, that wasn't right. right. Um, He was very much the mold of Wayne and his alter ego. Personally, I hate to see that he will no longer be a part of the universe. Although, if they do a direct adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns, I think Affleck is perfect for that role. Um, I agree with that. However, <laughs> I honestly think they're going to reboot it and get younger characters in there, which is well, what yeah. they should have done in the first yeah. place. I mean, that this goes back to when you and I discussed Affleck taking on Bruce Wayne. It's like, why are we doing an older Batman to begin with? Like, why are we doing... When you have um, a young Flash. Right. Like, it a, may, nothing was syncing up. Yeah. I mean, you have a Superman who was relatively new, uh, but you have a Batman who has been around, has already, you know, had the issues with the Joker, Robin's, you know, Jason Todd's dead and all that stuff. And you're kind of like, well, why are we, why are we Batman? Why are we having Batman of the future with Superman of the past and an ultra young Flash? It's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was kind of, it just did, it didn't make sense, but you know. It, it, I, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. But at the same time, it's like, you know, people have been clamoring about, oh, Affleck's no longer going to be Batman after Batman v. Justice because the 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 uh, reviews were so bad. And it's like going, that's not how this works, guys. And I do think um, that, rehab, that rehab stint played a part in it, though. I do. Because the timing was too, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it is what it is. I'm not going to knock the guy for having issues, but... Um, it doesn't matter because really what they need to do if they want to make DC movies, they need to reboot the whole joint from yeah. ground up because they, they have made a fucking holy mess of it. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and they're doing some beautiful work on television um, over numerous networks. So why don't we get some, some talented people to organize something? And yeah. I think one of the biggest mistakes they made is they came into it like, well, we don't want these to be of single universe. And then everyone was like, but we want it to be a single universe. <laughs> so they're like, okay, well we're halfway through and we're going to make it a single universe. Now. Like, yeah, y- 
make a fucking decision and stick to it. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just silly. But see, that's the thing. Like like Marvel said, like it's all going to be a single universe. They made that decision straight out. Right. You know, because people they're like, oh yeah, we're going to have, you know, we're going to start doing. Uh, comic book movies okay cool and it's like and they're all going to exist in the same universe it's like yes because then it becomes a true comic book movie so you know them saying well Marvel does their thing and we do our thing okay then do that but then don't just sit there and go like oh but see Marvel did really well by putting them together as the Avengers so we can do a Justice League and haphazardly put everything together but not at the same time yeah it was it was dumb and I think the whole, well, we don't want to copy Marvel with a single universe. No, you're just doing it in a comic book style. Like yeah. comic books are like that. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you, to do it any other way is dumb. You're making a bunch of one shots. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like if you're going to have a universe with Batman, and I said that with the Nolan films too. If you're going to have a universe with Batman in it, it doesn't make sense that he's the only superhero. Right. Because that, that doesn't make any sense. If you have a universe that allows superheroes, you're not going to have one. You know, so it's it's um, yeah. But we'll see. I'm enjoying. I I I got really bitter, and you can you can fucking Steve can attest to this. I I gave up on the DC um movies. I was like, I'm done. I I'm tired of being disappointed, and I'm also yeah. tired of defending DC as a whole because a movie was shitty. You know, I'm right. just I'm done. And now I'm like I'm focusing on the TV shit because TV's just blowing it up. You know, so I can enjoy my characters over here, and I'll watch right. Marvel movies, and then until somebody gets their fucking act together. <laughs> until somebody gets their shit together. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to watch good shit. That's what I'm going right. to do. Um, now, this next one, Steve, mm-hmm. if you click on the link, it's like this one, then this one, then this. So yeah. we can alternate on there. Yeah, that's fine. So why don't you go first there, Chuckles? All right. So just so everybody knows what the fuck we're talking about. Fuck that. <laughs> uh last Wednesday Nintendo Direct of 2019 dropped. Uh it was and, so good too. Oh my god, it, it's it's the it's skit, 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 skit. This was um, the Nintendo Direct that cemented Steve and I want a Switch. <laughs> like we were both totally. on the fence. Yeah. Um of course not letting it letting it be a release on the Wii U didn't hamper anything. Actually, being probably the best selling game on the Wii U uh, for that Doom console. The sequel, ladies and gentlemen, Super Mario Maker Two is yes. coming to the Switch with slopes in twenty in June of twenty nineteen. With slopes. <laughs> with slopes. <laughs> um, really looking forward to this. A lot of people were complaining. Oh, it just looks like the, a port, and I'm like, no, they're adding stuff to it, but. The nature of the game, it's not going to look much different. Yeah. You know, if they broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And I mean, they, yeah, they did, you know, so it's going to be awesome. And, and I'm that I was like, cause that's the one thing I've kind of always missed about not getting the Wii U was Super Mario Maker, which is sad is that I was like, oh, I didn't get to get Super Mario Maker. But now knowing that they're making it for the Switch, which I guess I kind of knew, but I actually have, I have that game, Super Mario Maker. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, I'm the shit, so whatever. Anyways. Now now it's cool to know that that's coming out. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. That was one of the games from this Direct that I'm like, finally. Like, now we can move forward. This one, though, this next one, though, this one I saw Adam get a heart on. And I wasn't, and we're not even in the same state. Let me explain this. This, (laughs) 
I'm just going to call it The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening is getting remade for the Switch. Let me let me explain something to everybody. The <laughs> Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening is my second favorite Zelda game. First being Link to the Past because it is officially the greatest Zelda game ever made. <laughs> um, Link's Awakening, for those who don't know, because a lot of people haven't, haven't played it, was right. on the original Game Boy. Right. Um, and if you – there was like an egg on top of a mountain and it was going to hatch and you had to, you had to solve some problems and shit. Typical Zelda game, top down, everything like that. This game blew my fucking mind (laughs) when I was a kid. Like it it was, it was a combination of, so this game was the second game I had for the game boy. The one before that was Tetris. So I'm (laughs) like, Oh yeah, Tetris. That makes sense. It's on a handheld, whatever. (laughs) Then they get this game, and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> like these young cats don't get it. You know what I mean? But this blew my fucking mind that I could play a game like that in my hands, like on, on a handheld when my mom's at the fucking store, and I can be like that. It was before smartphones, ladies and gentlemen. However, they are completely remaking this for the 3DS um, in full 3D, but it's still going to keep that top-down isometric look, which, thank God, Actually, right. it's not isometric, is it? It's just top-down. Yeah, it's top-down. Um, the game looks identical. They're not changing anything. They're just upping the graphics up. And it's cutesy-looking, you know, cartoony. I don't expect it to be fucking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uncharted or anything like that. But right. um, definitely looking forward to that for the 3DS, which I was surprised that they're not bringing that to the Switch. But I think Nintendo's... Nintendo's jerking themselves off on both ends of the fucking dick because they, they're killing the mobile market twice. Like, no one will dare release a mobile <laughs> anything. They're like, that's all right. You know. Um, go ahead, next. All right, next is Fire Emblem Three Houses is slightly delayed to yeah. July 26th. Um, the Nintendo's de- um, detailed a lot of the game's lore, including what the deal is with the you know, the houses uh, looks like the characters are all students and they level and they level up and grow through a combination of fighting and book learning at school. So, and there will be a special edition because of course there will. That's right. I love the fire emblem series. It's, de- it's a uh, tactics series. It's not a, the most popular genre anymore, but um, really complex and shit kind of makes sense. That it's delayed, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but looking forward to seeing that one come out. This one was Astral Chain, a new game from Platinum Games, will be out um, on August 30th. It's an action game in which you play future cops and fight giant monsters. <laughs> seems, like, seems like it will have co-op. Um, Masakazu Katsura. Why can I say those right? I know. You can never say anybody else. Caucasian <laughs> names. I'm like, huh? What? Um, the manga. Kivin? Right. That, and keep in mind, I'm not like a Japanese obsessed <laughs> person. Um, the manga artist known for Video Girl Eye is on um, character designs and Platinum's uh, Hadiki Kamaya. Kamiya. I think it's Kamaya, but whatever. And Takashiya Taora. Fucking, I'm killing it. You know what it is? <laughs> it's, it's, I used to play that, um, what was that fucking game? I think it's just playing Nintendo for so many years. <laughs> right. You, you just know, get used to Japanese names. Yeah, you get used to the language. But we got some heavy hitters on the thing. The game looks cool. It's a new series. I always like when we see new um, properties come out too. Um, so we'll see how that one goes. Next. 
And uh, the Box Boy series is coming to Switch with yes. two-player co-op. Look at those Time- <laughs> I know, right? I mean, look, just, ah. Uh, you know, it's like Pong, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> time to get really mad at your friend as you play through 270 different stages in Box Boy plus Box Girl on April 26th. There will also be stages which you can play as Cootie, who is twice the height of Box Boy. That, that isn't saying a lot. Yeah, <laughs> Box was pretty short. Yeah. Um, Looks like Hubert. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. Um, the and if next you don't one, know who Hubert is, Ask your parents. Step your game up. <laughs> um, the next one, Dragon Quest uh, Eleven, will hit the Switch this fall. Dragon Quest, one of my favorite RPG. This this um, Nintendo Direct was very RPG heavy, yeah. um, which a lot some people were complaining, and I told them all to fuck off in my head. <laughs> um, the Switch version of Square Enix's um, latest RPG will be titled Dragon Quest Eleven S: Echoes of an Elusive Age. Definitive edition. Jesus, how many colons <laughs> okay. do you need in that? Fucking is, it fucking, title? is it made by the Capcom? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, include both English and Japanese audio. Oh. And we'll also, I love that shit. I, I love just flipping on the Japanese audio and it, they just sound fucking, it matches the video a little bit it better. It does. I, I, a lot of times I'll just read, it's like going, fuck you, I'll take the subtitles. It's yeah, like fuck just, it. I yeah. grew up reading, sub, reading <laughs> mountains of text on a Final <laughs> Fantasy game. I don't give a shit. And we'll also have new storylines for various characters. I like when they do that, when they do ports and they add whole new story elements. Um, it'll even feature the 16-bit style graphic mode from the 3DS version that didn't leave Japan. So, yeah, you can, like, I saw in the video, when you're on, like, the world map, you can mm-hmm. flip it. And it looks like a Super Nintendo game. Nice. And I was like, that's fucking sexy. <laughs> um, Nintendo promised more new information on the Switch version in the future. And lots of things dropping on their eShop. First, there's Tetris 99. People are freaking out about this I know. Game, people dude. are going fucking bonkers over this. It you can you play Tetris and attack people. Yeah. It's an, it's an exclusive for the Switch, which is perfect. Nice. You know, that's, that's why. If you remember, you can play this Battle Royale Tetris game in which 99 players start, but only one remains. For free, starting last week. Can't believe they found out a way to make a battle mode. I know for Tetris, of Tetris, all things. but people are tr- freaking out about it. I'm Tetris all over Reddit. is so treaded. Uh, treaded. Uh, Tetris <laughs> is so fucking accessible. Yeah, like anybody Everyone plays it. Tetris. I mean, when I had it on the PS2, uh, I would go visit my sister in Modesto, and. You know, I took my PlayStation uh, 2 up there and I took Tetris because I was like, oh, yeah, everybody likes to play Tetris. Oh, my God. I've never seen a family fall apart so quickly yeah. as when you're sitting there playing Tetris. And then when I went up the next time, they're like, are you are you are you going to bring Tetris again? And I was like, I don't know if I really want to see the sp- family <laughs> splinters so bad again. <laughs> well, I saw a meme. It said um, as soon as Tetris 99 came out, you, <laughs> you saw a lot of a lot of like. Gamers from the 80s and 90s crack their knuckles and fucking destroy <laughs> these motherfuckers in matches. Remember those Remember those uh, hand grips where you would squeeze to like oh, strengthen it up? You know, you see people like, oh shit, busting it out, dusting it off. And like, I've been training my entire life for this. <laughs> like, oh shit. Shit is about to get real. <laughs> um, another one that's, a, I, I also have this on the Wii U. Um, and it's a cute little game and I love little, it kind of reminds me of, um, an old NES game called Fire and Ice. I don't know if anyone even fucking knows what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Stop Captain, making up games, Adam. <laughs> right. Captain Toad Treasure Tracker for Switch will get a free update today that adds two-player co-op. 
um, to each of the game's courses. There will also be 18 new challenges and five new courses via paid DLC starting today or whenever, you know, fucking a couple Wednesday, days ago. Last Wednesday. You can order the package called Special Episode. Yeah, you can. Now and get <laughs> the first course uh, with the rest delivered on March 4th. It's kind of like a game pass, you know. Yeah. A digital bundle will hit eShop today uh, containing the whole game and DLC access. See, that's the thing is, is like, see, you know, now they're getting like, okay, this is what we can do. We can port all of these games and drop all these expansions of, you know, old, you know, uh, older games and stuff like that. And just kind of give it that portability, but also multiplayer. Right. So then you can actually start playing with people like you used to do with the fucking Well, Nintendo. the greatest thing is the Wii, the greatest thing for the Switch is the Wii U was a failure. Because yeah. the Wii U has some amazing fucking games on it that nobody played. So now yeah. they can just be like, hey, look at this game. <laughs> and everyone's <laughs> like, oh my god, this is shit. <laughs> like Mario Maker, we a lot of people have watched videos of it, but not a lot of people have played it because we didn't have a Wii U. Right. And honestly, that game is no joke, dude. Like I, <laughs> I was playing it, and I was like, this is – you need to be creative <laughs> to make these <laughs> All right, this game I was always I've been intrigued when I saw it at E3. Yeah. Uh, Damon X uh, Machina, a mecha combat game shown at E3, will get a quote prototype missions end quote demo today, with the full game coming this summer. The game is still in in development, so developers are looking for feedback. Play the demo, and you might get a survey looking for your thoughts. That's awesome. Yeah, I I saw this at when they just did the just the uh, look clean. Yeah, it just looked fucking amazing. I was yeah. like going, oh, what's that? <laughs> um, Yoshi's Crafted World coming March 29th. We'll have a demo today. It will it will include adorable costumes <laughs> that are just Yoshi wearing a cardboard box. <laughs> um, <laughs> because Nintendo. <laughs> this, this is definitely a game. The, the Yoshi games are simplistic, great for kids, but they're also fun for adults to play. They, they're like yeah. the most, some of the most accessible fucking games. Oh, yeah. You know, my, my daughter loves the... I have Yoshi's... I had Yoshi something on like a Game Boy and she was playing the shit out of it. Final Fantasy IX yes. will also come to the eShop with Final Fantasy... Seven, I would like five, six, seven. <laughs> seven close behind on March 26th. No word on the other Final Fantasies that are being ported to the Switch. I'm more ex excited about nine than I am seven. And I yeah. love seven, but nine has always been my favorite Final Fantasy. Nice. It's just, it, it was so great because they were doing that steampunk shit. Mm. And then nine was like, fuck it, fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the last one they did that was just pure <laughs> fantasy. Um, so I'm going to run through – you want me to just run through this last yeah, one? Yeah, go Pretty ahead. quick. Okay. Uh, so other new games or content announcements including uh, Disney Sum Sum, Sum Sum Festival is coming from uh, Bandai Namco. Many different many different four-player minigames playable locally and online. You can also play with uh, what looks like a straight-up port of the mobile um, version of the game. Um Onanaki is the new action RPG from the developers of I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere. This game looks fucking sexy. Um, mm. The character must jump back and forth between the living world and, and beyond to find lost souls to rescue who give you new powers. It's coming this summer. 
Rune Factory 4 Special has been remastered for the Switch coming later this year. Rune Factory 5 is also in development. I haven't checked that out. I've never really played any of the Rune Factory games. Neither have I. It's like an RPG slash farm sim. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Uh, a lot of people do like it. Yeah. Starlink Battle for Atlant- Atlas. I fucked it up. <laughs> is getting more Star Fox related content in its spring update. Do you'll a better be- roll. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be able to play as Falco, Peppy, and Slippy and take on the members of Star Wolf in the new battle in April. The trailer was kind of dope. No. Um, <laughs> Super Smash Brothers, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. We'll get a version 3.0 update this spring. No details on what it'll include. Um, the DLC character Joker from Persona uh, is coming in April. That is not Batman's Joker. So <laughs> right. many people. It's, it's from the Persona series. Um, and a whole bunch of other related dates and announcements for Switch, including, and this is real quick, guys, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 The Black Order, Summer. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, Summer. Dragon Quest Builder 2, July 12th. Dead by Night, Fall. Um, Delta Rune is February 28th. Grid Autosport is summer. Uh, Hellblade, s- s- <laughs> Hellblade <laughs> Sen- Senua's Sacrifice. Yes, that if it, game from if the it PlayStation. Was Japanese. If it was Japanese, he would have got it. That's right. Uh, <laughs> spring. Mortal Kombat 11, April 23rd. Unravel 2, March 22nd. Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered. The greatest Assassin's oh Creed God, game yes. ever made. When I May heard it was be- when I heard it was being remade for the Switch, uh, PlayStation Four, and you know Xbox One, I was just like, "Oh my!" I have God. bought that game four times, and I will <laughs> buy it a fifth time. I love that fucking that game, game. Is so great. That was the last one. After that one, I didn't really care much, but that one yeah. is so well done, um, and it's set in. Boston. Okay, yeah, so I know my way around. It's it's a different boss. I don't know. Um, like, oh, check out that stoop I used to hang out with my friends. <laughs> right. I used to hang out of the cobblestone street. Um, what the fuck? This is the 18th century. What are you talking about? <laughs> and Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon. Everybody on March 20th. Um, oh, and the developers of Bayonetta 3 are reportedly hard at work, which we are of course glad to hear. Um, this. This and pretty much every other Nintendo Direct has been a, a knockout of the park. Um, I can't help. At this point, I feel foolish and like <laughs> I'm disrespecting Nintendo by not having a Switch. <laughs> like they're putting out some of the hottest fucking content. Like Sony, Sony was number one and they're like, I'm just going to ride off into the sunset as the uh, – I saw some videos said Sony was poised to ride off into the sunset dressed with the bloody remains of the Xbox One. <laughs> but then Nintendo came in from behind. <laughs> like, it's it's so amazing what they're doing. And they're, they're proving what they've always tried to prove, that it's not all graphics. Like, gameplay and just quality of what you're putting out um, is definitely the, the main selling point here. And I am fucking excited. I already – I'm going to trade in my Wii U. I was talking to Steve yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, because my Wii U and I have a grip of games and controllers, I'll get like 200 bucks. So fuck it. I'll just get rid of it. It doesn't matter. They're pointing all the fucking games over anyway. I know, right? <laughs> and I never, and, and at first I didn't want to, but I, I haven't played it in like six months. Well, like, yeah. It just sits there. Yeah. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. Switch. <laughs> Brought to you by Switch. (laughs) (laughs) My life is brought to you by Switch. Yeah, right. So our main story for this week, it's a bit Trek. Um, So I was listening to another podcast, a Star Trek 
podcast called Priority One. And they brought up a question that I thought was kind of interesting, but they their discussion kind of went off the rails, um, as it usually does. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> not knocking the podcast, because it's a cool podcast. They talk about everything, you know, Trek-related. Uh, but sometimes it goes off the rails like we go off the rails. Yeah, it's 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 that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Not not where you're like going, oh, stop. It. But it's kind of like, oh wow, that conversation devolved quickly. <laughs> um, but uh, but I I still watch, I still listen to them, so it's just whatever. Um, but they brought up a question about how the latest Star Trek movie, Star Trek Four, was put on the shelf. The director left to take on another project, uh, negotiations between um, Chris Pine and, and Chris Helmsworth broke down. Uh, so it, there is no official release date for it. And, uh, but shows like the show, like discovery, and then they're building up the, the, the TV universe so much. And that, and even when you look at the last five episodes of this season of discovery, or the, even the last few episodes of, of last season, Discovery is huge, very cinematic. And the big question becomes the Star Trek television shows are becoming more like the movies, in which case the movies may not actually be relevant anymore. Um, Because and and one of the things that I that they kind of insinuated, but I I just wanted to kind of because I kind of saw the string where she was going with it was. That you have Star Trek that in a movie, it's, you know, a lot of explosions and wham, bam and stuff like that. And when you think about the best Star Trek movies, those are usually the ones that are more action oriented or, you know, like Star Trek 2. You got Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home, Star Trek, The Undiscovered Country. Then you have First Contact. Um, and then you had the, the, the reboot, the 2009 Star Trek. And you have these movies that bigger more cg all of that but at the same time you have discovery which and then you you know you're going to have these other shows that are coming out the new picard series and um and uh philippa's you know michelle yo's new series and they're being they're telling big stories on a grand scale visual effects or through the fucking roof but because they're a television series they can tell more in-depth stories they can tell bigger bigger stories than you can on um in a film so it's so some people are suggesting that has star trek gotten too big that it's no longer relevant to do a two-hour movie when you can simply watch a 15-part season that's almost like a 15-hour movie well i think it's an interesting question because Star Trek has always been more the television show. It's o- it's almost like the people who are asking this question are younger and they don't yeah. remember how impactful the show was. Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and all that and how there was always Star Trek on TV. Right. And t- it, right up until they canceled Enterprise. Um whether it be good or bad, there was always Star Trek on TV. And Star Trek was always a very nuanced show. They'd go in-depth on cultures and this and that. And then the movies were kind of just longer episodes. Like you had um, the original series movies and the Next Generation movies. They were kind of just, we have a slightly bigger story to tell you. So we're going to take an extra, what, 45 minutes? 
Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost like we're watching a two-parter without the da-da-da-da-da <laughs> in the middle. Right. And, they, of course, it was bigger scale. The budgets are bigger. We get it. The newer movies, while I enjoyed them, were shot in a more modern way where it was this action-packed, everyone's-got-a-zany-one-liner kind of thing. And while it was fun, and I loved, I loved the new movies, I, I, I'm not even against them, it wasn't the same as the, it was before. And I think when, when we see the new television show, the new television show, to me, is what Star Trek would have been if they had that kind of technology back then. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, 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 like they were saying, and and this kind of goes to what you were saying. Um, I get, and this was fun. this was the interesting one. This and and now that the way you mentioned it, it's actually the younger the young one of the younger hosts and one of the older hosts that was talking about. You know, she remembered Star Trek on you know UPN or you know the 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 regular TV series, and the other one kind of was on the tail end of that where it started making the jump to movies, and. That was kind of the thing. Like you would see Star Trek flat lighting, you know, a lot of enclosed spaces, not a lot of windows, you know, in there, uh, unless you were in the observation lounge with the, the lit, the lit curtain going around in a circle. (laughs) Um, but you would see a lot of enclosed spaces. And then when you did the movies, that was like, oh, cool. They got a bigger budget. They can do more visual effects. So it was cool. So then it was just like, yeah, like you said, do it on a bigger scale. But when you look at Discovery and take the Orville too, like if right. you look at the Orville, you see how much glass there is, how much everything outside is and all, how all of that works. It's not as enclosed as, as you had there. So what you have is you have the, the movies were always that extension of, oh, yeah, here's Trek that you remember with the cast. Now we're doing a movie version of it, so then it's like, oh, cool, bigger stories. But now you have the television shows, which are kind of on the same level. And my big thing on this is, like, you know, people are saying, well, I think, you know, like, the older crowd is saying, like, Star Trek is too too cinematic. You know, it's it just seems too big now. They kind of like smaller Trek. Well, yeah, Trek was only small because it didn't have the budget. Yeah. If it if it had the budget at the time and had the technology, yeah, we would be probably seeing what we see now. And you also... For the time, Star Trek was huge. They yeah. started, Star Trek was a was a big deal on TV, and the way they were telling stories and what they were talking about. Well, yeah, yeah, it was because the fact of the matter is, is that yeah, they had the makeup that they can do, but yeah, they couldn't do all the visual effects, and so you have grander storylines. You have things that they can kind of delve, delve into, and being a weekly show, you can kind of d- dive into all these different types of storylines. Because, you know, one of the things that, that happened and um, uh, when Star Trek Beyond came out, Chris Pine was kind of hit for a comment he made about the, the modern cinema marketplace. And here's his quote. He said, you can't make a cerebral Star Trek in 2016. It just won't work in today's marketplace. You can hide things in there. Star Trek Into Darkness was crazy, really demanding, you know, demanding questions and themes but you have to hide it under the guise of wham-bam explosions and planets blowing up. It's very, very tricky. The question with our movie poses is, does the Federation mean anything? And in a world where everybody is trying to kill one another all the time, that's an important question. Is working together important? Should we all go our separate ways? Does being united mean something, mean anything? Uh, Being united against something mean anything? 
And one of the things is the, the whole can't make a cerebral Star Trek anymore. Some people took that as being just that first sentence. And they started saying, what are you talking about? You know, and they started pulling episodes from the television show. And I go, you're missing the point of what he's yeah. saying. You can't make a cerebral movie Trek anymore. He's not, not talking. Television. He's not talking about Star Trek. He's talking about cinema. And, yeah. and we see it with, um, honestly, the, the main culprit of that reason is the Marvel movies. Is you, you, everything is so centered now. And the Marvel movies are as cerebral as they get sometimes, but they are <laughs> hidden behind wham, bam, you know, because we're trying to get a broader audience here. Right. But everyone has gotten used to that now. So the movies that are just talking, like most, a lot of the Star Treks back in the day, they would have maybe two big action sets and then you would have just talking, like yeah. people figuring things out. And that doesn't play well anymore in but the even, theaters. But even when you look at, like, even look at the past Trek movies, and because and that question kind of was like, well, I think it was kind of always that way because if you look at the, at the main Star Trek line before the reboot, you know, some of the most favorite ones was Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home, The yeah. Undiscovered Country, First Contact. And you look at those movies and what did those movies all have? They had, you know, themes, but again, hidden behind, wham, bam, you know, explosions and stuff. You know, so... And that's, I mean, that's storytelling before movies were invented. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you have... You, a lot of the Shakespearean plays shit. <laughs> like, they were telling you some deep shit, but there was some sword play before that. Right. You know? But, yeah, and that's that's kind of the, the big... The, that's really, like, the big thing. And that's one of the things that the Orville is trying to do uh, with some of their... With some of those episodes that they deal with. Like, this last week's episode of the Orville. Yeah. You know, kind of reversing the whole gay issue. You know, and it had a very downer ending. You know, that's kind of the way sci-fi is supposed to work. It's supposed to take, you know, uh, cultural issues of the day and then hide them behind this, you know, uh, sci-fi-esque so then people can understand it and it's more accepting of it that rather than being preached to. Right. But, you know, when you're dealing with now with Trek and the way all of this is going, you're dealing with grander themes, mysteries. It's, it's evolving to the market, you know, because back in the day, you know, and Enterprise kind of did this towards the end, but it was very episodic. Like we were talking about, uh, you know, the best of both worlds before the show, you know, and how there was never a follow up. You know, you never saw them dealing with PTSD. Oh, because you were talking about Ash. Yeah. You know, because he was dealing with PTSD and all of this stuff in season one. And now you have him coming off as, you know, being kind of damaged. And everybody's like, well, that's not Star Trek. People don't have that. It's like. Well, you had Picard dealing with it after the Borg episode, but that was after fighting with the, the producers to do an episode but that the, actually dealt with the aftermath. I think these issues, too, are not really a Star Trek thing. It's just how TV was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. They didn't really show Unless you were a soap with, opera. Right. They didn't really show people with real issues, usually. It was, yeah. very, it was very cut and paste. Also, and I was talking to Steve about this, too, is that a lot of times they say, oh, this new Star Trek's in a more grander scale, blah, blah, blah. A lot of that is just shooting techniques. Yeah. Like in the 90s when they were shooting um, like all the Star Treks, the, the camera work was pretty similar to any other show. you know. And now mm -hmm. 
you watch a cop drama now and it's cameras chasing people around. You well, know, yeah. it's just the way it is now. Yeah, that's that's yeah, exactly because cameras were stationary, now cameras are mobile. You know, cameras can you're not locked because of the camera. You can you know. do anything. You could make it look like you're a you're a member of the crew in a shot. You could do you could pan in from the top. You could fly a fucking drone and get a like you, <laughs> the, the sky's the fucking limit prime, for cameras. Prime, prime example. If you take one of the best Star Trek episodes of the next gen and you take best of both worlds and uh, which is usually most people's favorite of the original series of the uh, next gen series. And then you just look at the episode that we just had of Discovery where it's in between, you know, the, uh, the, oh, the, oh my God, what's that called? The, where was this mycelial network? Yeah, right. Halfway in the mycelial network and halfway in real space. You can never do that in a, in a traditional episode. I mean, just the visual effects alone. And that was just last week's episode. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and you know, the week before that you had, was it the week before that, that you had, um, that planet that was dying. You know, and Saru, you know, yeah, you know, and then the, the, the whole thing with the uh, the universal translators, you know, that's just two weeks of the show. And I think and I think you're on to something here is that a lot of people are saying it's too big now. It's because every episode feels like the season finale. Right. Because it's so. But a lot that I have to go back to the main point is that that's not because Star Trek has changed. Technology is cheaper and better now. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they film, the, every show is like that now. Unless yeah. it's a comedy sitcom. Those don't right. change. But if you have, even they're kind of more grand, if yeah. you really think about it. But all these all these other shows are the same way. You have There's so much TV on now that they have to do something. Like yeah. They can't just come out with a a run-of-the-mill show and expect everybody to watch it. Exactly, because you, know? you, ha- you have Trek, and it's like Trek is going to follow the mold of everything else. Because, look, I mean, you have Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, you know, shows on a scale. Right. You know, you, you, these these are shows you would not have seen 15, 20 years ago. You know, and it's just like that's just kind of how the marketplace is. Well, I was, I was reading an article today, actually, where they were saying that the new... Star Trek Discovery is bringing a lot of young people who were never Star Trek fans uh, into the fold, and they're really enjoying it. And that had me thinking, you know, the people who made Discovery kind of had a job to do in a sense that Star Trek had been off TV for long enough yeah. that there was an entire generation of people <laughs> that probably haven't watched it. Yeah, very you true. Know, and, and they can't just rest on the, oh, you already like Star Trek here's more of it that yeah, you, was the you, 90s like yeah, you we, knew you knew track so it's like you had just a, in the 90s it. man they had a built-in fucking fan base yeah. they could have did anything we would have watched it anyway you know right. what i mean but i mean we watched voyager you know what i mean <laughs> um yeah yeah we so now we have these people and it's it's only to me it's interesting and kind of exciting because i'm on that i'm the old fan now this is the first time that I'm the old fan, and now I'm talking to new fans, and and there's a there's a difference there because we our first experiences are different. It's almost like Doctor Who, like who's your doctor, like that right. kind of shit. You know, they only know the Discovery crew, yeah, and maybe vague things they've heard about 
Next Generation, or they or watched it, watched it on Netflix, and then was like, "Oh, this right. is dumb." And then you know, or this right because it was old, it was dated. They didn't want to yeah. watch it, you know. So now it's it's almost crazy to me that the the first ship that these people are into is not called Enterprise. That's <laughs> right. weird to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, but as it somebody is what said, it is. but as somebody said on Twitter the other day, you have Pike, you have Spock, you have Number One. It's ten years before Kirk takes over. Why can't we have a new Enterprise series? We could with with Pike, Pike behind the. And I'm uh, telling you, they the got they got big plans. They got this Picard series coming out. They got the animated series. I'm actually really excited for the I can't animated wait for that, series. That animated series. I keep thinking about Lower Decks, and it's just like going, oh, that would be so awesome. I'm like, excited for that for two reasons. One, you can do a lot more with animation because obviously it's cheaper. <laughs> and mm-hmm. two, I'm gonna. I think my kids will be a little bit more into it. Yeah. And that's gonna. That's exciting to me. Like, my kids have watched Discovery with me, but they don't know what's going on. Like, yeah. you have to watch it from the beginning, and even then it's confusing. <laughs> yeah. Like, because it, it's not confusing to me. It's not confusing to Steve. We know who the Klingons are. We know the tension. We know all that shit. But they're like, who are they? Why don't yeah. they like us? What's going on? Like, they they were just confused. And it was so many questions that they hit a, a point of, like, diminishing return. It was like, okay, right. you know, whatever. Um... <laughs> But I'm excited for that. What was another show? I don't think they've announced any other ones. Uh, there was supposed to be a con show, but I'm not sure if that's still going. Hmm. Um, but there was also oh, um, the Captain uh, Captain Philippa. She's getting oh, her yeah. own. She's that's getting her own. That's true spin-off. too. She's getting the uh, the Section Thirty One show, which yeah. will be fucking intense. Which I'm ready for. And can I get schematics to the ship, please? I'm still. <laughs> it's still bugging me. <laughs> Even the latest episode, we were seeing it doing some work. I was dude, like, fuck, they, this little ship is so cool. Dude, when the Admiral came back and uh, was talking to Pike and, and the other guy, and she's like, oh, cut this manlier than thou shit. <laughs> I was just yeah, like, that was cool. <laughs> the, the, the bridge of that ship makes it look like there's no command structure. Yeah. It's really weird. It's, it's an interesting bridge layout. It reminds me of, um, this is probably dumb, but I don't know why it reminded me of the scimitar. The scimitar? From Nemesis. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of has that rounded yeah, I two levels, saying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Although there was defined where the captain sat, <laughs> the scimitar. Right. Well, um, because it's Romulan, so yeah, right. naturally. But I I really like Star Trek, the new one, the old one. I like it all. And I think sometimes we have to we – we love a story or something so much – that if you see anything that might go against the grain, you instantly go, fuck you. You know, that's trash, right. you know. But we can't do that. You know, we have, you got to kind of grow past that shit, you know, because it's – they can't keep telling Star Trek the way it was told in 1988 or 1960-something. They can't well, even, do it. Well, I mean, even if you think about it, Next Generation told stories different from 60. And it got plenty of fucking backlash for it too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's just, it's one of those where it's like, you know what, everything evolves. And in the end, it's a business. You know, if it's like, oh, people like bigger stories and stuff like that. It's true. Because to be honest, I I, I think like, can <laughs> as a kid, as like, if I could imagine stories that look like this back then, it'd just be like, oh, oh God. my God, you know. You know, it's funny is the the episodes we're watching are almost on the level of spectacle to the books. Yeah. Because the books 
your brain is the one that's making it up. So they those stories used to get crazy, <laughs> you know. And it's um, oh, I forgot what I was kind of just gonna say, but I don't know. I just I just think um, just having Star Trek be a big deal again is is enough for me. Yeah, because I fucking love Star Trek. <laughs> It was so funny because for a while I was only watching Star Trek and the Orville. So the oh, really? joke the joke in the office when everybody was talking about shows is that Adam only watches Star Trek and Star Trek Light. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, less calories, but still bold flavor. Okay. Um, yeah, um, I, I need to watch something that isn't sci-fi. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I need to branch out a little bit. So. All right. Well. As we do every week, uh, we wind down the show with something a little, a little like, what the actual fuck? So, this week's wife of the White House communication chief, communications chief, is a special kind of stupid. <laughs> On Wednesday of last week, Darla Shine took to Twitter, as one does, to denounce vaccines in a series of tweets. She referenced CNN's coverage of the measles outbreaks across the country. She tagged them as fake and hysteria. In fact, she doubled down on the anti-vaxxer rant, claiming that baby boomers had contracted the measles when they were younger and that childhood diseases keep people healthy. Quote, bring back our childhood diseases. They keep you healthy and fight cancer, she added in a tweet. Quote, I had the measles, mumps, chicken pox as a, chi- as a child, and so did every, every kid I knew. Sadly, my kids had MMRs, so they will never have the lifelong natural immunity I have, she tweeted. Currently, the Center for Z- Disease Control and Prevention reports that 101 cases of measles have been confirmed in 10 states across the country. There were 376 confirmed cases last year. The CDC said the measles occur in the U.S. because international travelers contract the disease abroad and bring it into this country, and outbreaks occur in communities where residents are unvaccinated. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so fucking stupid. It's like they help fight cancer. Like, what the fuck? Like, why, why, as a government representative, are you allowed to just make shit up? I know, right? Like, I, I never understood. There's two things I don't understand. Why politicians think they have a right to speak on scientific things or why people keep listening to politicians when <laughs> it's sci- – Like, it's so funny to me that you'll have a, a politician like Trump mm-hmm. and he'll say something counter to what scientists say. Right. And they go, see, Trump's bringing the real truth. What What makes him qualified? <laughs> In any way to speak to that. I'm not even saying he's an idiot. I'm just saying what makes him quite, he's not a scientist. Right. It doesn't make any sense. But we all, you know, the man is out to get us kind of shit. <laughs> it's it's so fucking sad, dude. And I, I honestly think the anti-vaxxing thing is slowly dying out. And I saw an article um, not too long ago, I think like a week ago, where some kids, like teenagers – were um, going against their parents' wishes and going oh, to get yeah. vaccinated. And they obviously have to wait till they're 18. But I guess it was like their 18th birthday, they went and got vaccinated. Yeah. And um, there was this Good one on kid, this poor, poor bastard. <laughs> Thank God he has a fucking brain. 
um, his mom said never got him vaccinated because in California resident, no offense, Steve, but that's kind of the center of this anti-vaxxing thing. Um, Steve's like, fuck you, don't talk shit. <laughs> um, she said it was a government conspiracy. Hmm. And he quickly found out that his mom was fucking dumb. <laughs> and he went 18th birthday and started getting the vaccinations. And um, she was upset about it. And he said, too fucking bad. Yeah. Like, you're an idiot. And I guess his whole family is is anti. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, I know there's some people like, oh, the flu shot makes me sick. That's just normal shit. That's just people who don't like getting the flu shot because it makes their arm hurt. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get it. Like, I used to be that person. Like, ugh, I don't want to get the flu. I'll just wash my hands. You know, I get the flu shot every year now because I have kids. And people go, oh, you don't want to get them sick? I'm like, no, I don't want them to get me sick. Yeah. Because the thing with kids is they might not get sick, but they'll bring shit home. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. You know, they're like little Petri dishes. So, yeah, she's an idiot. I can't wait until the day where someone just wakes up and goes, maybe we should let the doctors make these choices. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Well, that's our episode for this week. So thanks for joining us. If you want to help us out, there are two ways you can. One, you can leave us a review wherever you get the show. Recommend the show to your friends. Or two, if you really want to help us out, you can donate. Uh, you can head over to thelazygeeks.com and click the donate button. Donate button. <laughs> button. You can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thelazygeeks. Twitter and Instagram, both um, at thelazygeeks, all one word. Uh, send us any feedback, comments, suggestions for episodes or your favorite conspiracy theories. We haven't talked about one of those in a while. Yeah, we haven't. Um, the geeks at thelazygeeks.com. And if you want more content from us, just head over to the blog, thelazygeeks.com. So thanks for checking us out. Until next time, live large. If you ain't living large, you ain't living at all. <laughs>